You are on trend with the Alumni Trending Podcast. My name is Paul Clifford, and throughout my career in higher education, my mission has been to connect alumni to what they love most about their alma mater and to activate them in ways that support the aspirations of the institutions I have served. As advancement professionals, we are leading a movement, a mobilization of alumni in support of education for a lifetime. On this podcast, you will hear the voices leading our profession, advancing our institutions, and keeping higher education strong around the world. You are going to learn and be inspired by the passion and purpose driving these advancement professionals right here on Alumni Trending. What's up, trendsetters? Welcome to the Alumni Trending Podcast. I'm excited about our episode today. We are going to dive in to the world of engaging alumni through podcasts. Imagine that. We're going to talk about podcasts on my podcast today. I am going to be joined by Bianca Velez. She is the Director of Alumni Communication and Digital Engagement at Seton Hall University, specifically working in the Seton Hall Alumni Association. Bianca, welcome to Alumni Trending. Thank you so much, Paul. I am excited to be here with you. Well, I'm excited to have this conversation with a fellow podcaster and someone who has actually formal training. Uh, we'll, We'll get into all of that, but let's go ahead and maybe walk us through your career and how you became the Director of Alumni Communications and Digital Engagement at Seton Hall. Absolutely. So it's funny that you mentioned that of formal training. I actually am a graduate of Seton Hall, and I graduated with a degree in broadcasting and visual media. So my original career ambitions involved television journalism, and that's what I worked in immediately after graduating. So I spent some time on Long Island doing hyperlocal news um, for what was then Verizon Files One News. And um, I was a video journalist, so one-man band. I was shooting, editing, producing, voicing, the whole nine yards. And I then, after my contract was up, I decided I didn't want to be on Long Island anymore, and I came back this way. So I'm in, I'm in North Jersey, in Jersey City. Worked in the city in digital media for a little bit, did some freelance work, and landed in advancement. So... My former teacher from high school became an advancement professional at my alma mater high school, and we had always remained in touch, and he was looking for someone with storytelling skills to help him with the communications for their alumni relations department and their fundraising. And so he basically recruited me, brought me on board at Marist High School, And I took the opportunity because um, it was something different, but it also gave me the stability that I needed at the time. Like I mentioned, I was doing a lot of freelance work and it just wasn't, you know, the steady workflow that I needed for for the time frame that I was in. So I, I work at Maris High School. I worked there for a little bit and I learned the world of advancement and I thought, hey, I have some transferable skills that could really Um, benefit and I could find work in advancement. And I think I would be interested in doing this at the college level. So a couple of years after working at Marist, I decided to pursue the college level 
And I found a position at the time, which was associate director of alumni engagement at Seton Hall, my alma mater. I've got like a little uh, trend here going in terms of working at my alma mater. <laughs> I'm running out. <laughs> right, um, right. So I, I was given the position of associate director of alumni engagement at the time. And now I've been at Seton Hall for five years. Um, in the past couple of years, I was promoted to director of alumni communication and digital engagement. So in a nutshell, that's how I ended up at Seton Hall, where I am right now. So you've been in that role just under two years. Uh, we were trucking along, right? And and then March of 2020 hits and COVID-19 puts us in a work from home setting. There's two things in particular, uh, Bianca, that I want to talk about. One is how you pivoted an existing program and took it to the next level. And that is your webinar series. Uh, and then I want to spend the rest of our conversation talking about the new podcast that you've developed there at Seton Hall. But first, talk a little bit about your communications approach to uh, the COVID-19 pandemic and keeping alumni connected to the institution during work from home. Yeah, absolutely. So let me dive into the webinar. Uh, we had a webinar series. We've had a longstanding webinar series for years now in which we provide alumni with an opportunity monthly to take part in a one-hour professional development session. The topics range from investing to social media uh, to tips and tricks on house buying and house selling. So we really run the gamut when it comes to different topics. Once a month, mostly on one Thursday, like the third Thursday a month, when we find ourselves at a stay-at-home order and the slate of in-person events is, you know, swiped. We figured, okay, what what do we what do we still have in terms of engaging alumni, and how do we leverage that, and how do we maximize on that? Because the the important piece to us was making sure that we stayed connected to our alumni, and we continued to provide something that was going to be useful for them as we all face this really uncharted waters and difficult period of time. So almost immediately we pivoted to making the webinar series weekly instead of monthly. So probably starting in March, but definitely by, by April, we had contacted a ton of different people, somehow managed to slate a webinar for every single week, various topics, and we continued that through the summer. At some point in the summer, we started to dial it back down as people were, you know, learning to live with the pandemic and be outside a little bit more. And it, you know, required, it didn't require as much uh, from us in terms of putting together a weekly webinar series. But in the time before we, we started to dial back, and I should say when we dialed back, we continued to offer them more than we previously were offering. So right. now our webinar series is twice a month. And in the time that we were doing it weekly, we really saw an increase in the amount of people that were signing into these webinars. Some of our webinars at the monthly rate were, were seeing sometimes 20, sometimes 40 attendees. 
there was a point uh, during COVID when we were offering them weekly that we had eight, upwards of 80 people live watching the, rec- watching the webinar live plus additional people watching the recordings. We always make the recordings available. So we were really accessing people and providing them with information that they were finding useful, that they needed at the time. And that was our focus. Our focus was what what do we have? What can we do? How do we make this situation better for everyone? And how do we just stay in the lives of our alumni? Because it's very important to us. And making it weekly allowed us to do that. It was tough because finding finding moderators and hosts and topics, it it is a, a challenge. But we we really tapped into our alumni base. So a lot of our webinars are led by our alumni. And it was great because we were able to just contact alumni. They stepped up to the challenge and we got it together for a good run for a few months. What I love about the example is that you took a look at what your current inventory or your current offering uh, of engagement opportunities were. And you said, you know, this this could work if we uh, if we take this to the next level and go weekly with this webinar series. This could be something that can keep Seton Hall Pirates connected to the university through this period. Uh, and by taking it weekly, and then you learned a lot while you were doing it weekly, right? The world around us started to change a little bit. We started hearing about Zoom fatigue, and that became a real thing. Right. And and you adjusted. I think with every right. great program, being able to being willing to tweak from the original idea, I think is what ultimately makes it great and and uh, successful. I you know when when I think of the webinar series, especially when you're featuring alumni, I think of it in a twofold way. Right? Certainly, there's there's a benefit to the audience of eighty plus people that are attending the webinar, but there's also the audience of one. Right? Asking someone to share their story is probably the most engaging thing you can do with an alumnus or an alumna of our institution. What was the response that you got from both of those audiences? Yeah, absolutely. I think one is you hit the nail on the head, right, with being able to pivot. And actually, it's something that we still do. So as we've been running these webinar series, we're also looking at changing the time that we offer it. Normally, we offered it at a specific time on, you know, originally on the third Thursday of every month. And then we started offering it twice a month, still at a specific time, which was noon. Um, So noon noon to one Eastern time. And recently we've decided to pivot again and see, hey, what if we offer this in the evening? Is that a better time for our alumni? Um, And we are seeing success with that. So we do continue to pivot and continue to evolve the program based on the needs of our alumni. And the response when we when we started offering it, first, I mean, the response from our alumni when we found ourselves, you know, in the lockdown of this pandemic was tremendous. I mean, we really saw people step up and offer their support in so many different types of ways that it did really feel like we were part of a very strong community. That's one of the things that Seton Hall values is like, we're always talking about the power and the strength of the Seton Hall community. And when you are in a situation like we were in in March and April, which were, you know, very tough months, we were able to see that. We really were able to see the strength and the power of, of our community and just everybody step up. So the response was positive. It was overwhelmingly positive. But I think you're also right on the one-on-one. So 
It doesn't only allow us an opportunity to engage with alumni near and far, which is also the upside, right, of the digital engagement world, which we were dabbling in already, but we kind of got catapulted into because of the pandemic, is we can engage people near and far through the digital programming. But when we engage the one-on-one, it is it is a more in-depth and more intimate experience. So we really start to build a relationship with that person. Um, and it's the, it goes the same for the people that we we contacted and we recruited from within campus. A lot of our professors and administrators are also alumni. And even those who are not, we, uh, we reached out to them as well and said, hey, can you help us? We really want to be able to do this. We want to be able to provide this much needed content weekly. And again, to the strength of the community, you'll see people step up and say, I've got this person. I've got this person. How about this? How about that? What about this topic? For example, one alum that we reached out to had been on our radar already. He was profiled one time. He is a mental health professional. And we reached out to him in the midst of this pandemic, which you know I think we all understood how this could really affect people on a mental and emotional level. And he very quickly was able to respond and say, yes, I'll do a webinar. And here's a great topic that I think that we could cover. Now we have a relationship with him. And now we're like, hey, what else is there? Can we explore other topics with you? Can we explore other webinars with you? What else can we do? And so that relationship, that one-on-one relationship to, to the point that you're making, ends up being really valuable and really important because now we're looking at not just this person came, did a one-hour, one-session, but we have a long-lasting relationship and we're trying to see what else can we utilize this alum for. He feels valued and we're certainly getting the benefit of that value. And so are 80, 100, 150 other alumni. That's a fantastic story. And I think that's often overlooked is the audience of one, right? The presenter or the alumnus or alumna that you're engaging. And so kudos to you for capitalizing on that as well as an opportunity, as an engagement opportunity to keep that alumnus connected to Seton Hall. What I thought was really fantastic about the Seton Hall case study around COVID is first you took a look at existing programs and asked, how can we amplify? How can we take this program to the next level, which you did with the webinar series? But then you didn't stop there. You thought, okay, what are other ways that we can now introduce into our programming to engage alumni? And you launched. Uh, back in March, you launched a podcast called the Pirates Eye Podcast. Tell us a little bit about the backstory and how that came about. Yeah. So the backstory, interestingly enough, it dates, you know, further back than COVID. And it comes from one, me having that background and having that interest and passion in broadcasting and journalism and wanting to take that into the work that I do now. So normally, we were profiling alumni on a monthly basis at at minimum to feature in our e-newsletter. And I thought, okay, we're doing this profile piece, which is written, and that's great. We get it up on the website. We distribute it on our social media. People feel, again, right? So the one-on-one 
Paul, that you were saying, people feel really good when we write a nice profile piece about them and we get to share our alumni stories and we get to inspire other people. It's, it's It's a great piece to have. But I thought to myself, I was listening to a ton of podcasts and I thought, okay, what if we turned this profile piece into a live to tape question and answer podcast? Maybe it'll work. Maybe people will feel even better about being profiled and it'll offer a little bit of a change to the content that we're offering our alumni. We're offering a lot of written pieces. We have a lot of different news stories. Sometimes alumni profile pieces are coming out of different schools and colleges. So let's change it up. Let's offer an alumni podcast and let's do this Q&A and see what happens. It is a little bit hard to kick off, you know, something like that, especially in the midst of uh, a lot of the other programs that we're running. So it took me a little bit to get off the ground. It ends up happening that I'm able to get it off the ground in March when the pandemic hits. So it was like, okay, here's another program that we have, which is digital, which maybe now we can focus on this program a little bit more than we had originally anticipated focusing on it and drive it. And, and turn it into something that people want to listen to, something that people just, you know, subscribe to. That's always, that was always the goal. But um, amongst the other things that we had going on and all the other programs that we were promoting and uh, marketing, that wasn't going to be, you know, top of the list. We're going to promote and market the pieces that, that were more important. You know, a lot of our in-person events or some other engagement opportunity a lot more of the in-person stuff and less of the digital stuff. The digital is like complimentary. When COVID hits, what happens is like a flip, obviously. No in-person stuff at all. And so we really have to emphasize all of the digital and and create more digital. So our team really did an amazing job of creating a slate of digital engagement, social media campaigns, um, you know, flipping things to be interesting and dynamic digital programs. And in that also fell the podcast. So what the pandemic did provide us an opportunity with is was to take it and highlight it much more than than I think we would have highlighted it had we been in the mix of the busyness that is alumni engagement normally in our spring. So I've since been able to continue this the same schedule that I had originally anticipated, which is to feature an alum once a month, but it just got so much more attention, I think, because of the the nature of, of what we were in, that um, it's been really exciting because I have gotten a lot of feedback, let's say, from like fellow graduates who are like, hey, is sending me screenshots or m- sending me messages and they they're pointing out, you know, this person was on your show and I thought this was a great interview. This person, I thought this was a great interview. And I, I feel like a lot of that is because we've been able to say, okay, let's utilize our social media. Let's utilize our digital engagement platforms. Let's utilize our newsletter. Let's, let's plug this in all of these different areas and let's grow it. And then the alumni themselves, who are the guests on the show, have also done an incredible job sharing their episodes as well. 
it's been a fun and exciting ride to launch the podcast. It launched in a way that I didn't anticipate, but it ended up being, I think, a good thing for the podcast itself in that I was able to put a little bit more attention to it than I think I would have been able to put in the past. It's just an exciting time, and I feel like it's it continues to just gradually go upward from from where it started. What started as supplemental content was forced to be kind of feature programming. Exactly. You know, it's a testament to you and your planning and your team's planning around, one, how can we continue to expand how we communicate to our alumni and how we tell the Seton Hall story? But it was also there then unintentionally, but but part of your COVID-19 strategy, right? Because you had this new and exciting thing that that was a natural way to engage alumni during the pandemic. Yeah. And I will say too, you know what the, the podcast has also done is it allows the teammates of mine who have these direct relationships with donors or alumni that they are engaging and cultivating, it allows them to think about how can I utilize what the programs that we have in order to strengthen the relationship that I have with this person, this alum or this alum. So I like that when people are are working on, on their relationship with alumni, that they think, hey, this is a great story. This alum has an amazing story. And this alum is, you know, a dynamic speaker or this alum has a, a great program that's informative, that could be a, a professional development opportunity for fellow alumni that they think, hey, maybe this is a good fit for the webinar program, or maybe this is a good fit for a podcast guest. It, it just allows for a lot more collaboration. So the benefits are coming at, at so many different levels. We have a listenership that is benefiting from listening to alumni stories getting those alumni profiles in a different medium than they would have gotten before, which is great because everybody's really busy, right? And you may get the newsletter, you can't read every single story, but you can listen to the podcast on your ride in to work or while you're making dinner. And so that just provides us with another opportunity to be part of the lives of our alumni. Plus, it provides us an opportunity to build that one-on-one relationship with the person that we're speaking with or interviewing. That person is excited and is sharing it with their networks, particularly their Seton Hall networks. And it provides this next level of collaboration with my team. Not to say that we weren't getting leads in before for the written pieces, but because it's a podcast and it's a different medium that's a little bit more dynamic and exciting at least from my perspective. Um, and I think from the perspective of a lot of people, I know it's also from your perspective since you run a, a podcast. Absolutely. It's a, it's an exciting dynamic and it's an exciting medium. And so it just provides those leads at another level, especially because you want to be really strategic, right? You, you want to be mindful that it's a podcast. And I think you want to have a voice that is, is going to be engaging and a, and a good story to tell in this medium particularly. So it, it provides that next level strategy too. Absolutely. The other thing I love about when you add a new platform to your communication strategy is it just gives you a whole other opportunity to say yes, right? 
our our magazines have limited print space, right? But everybody wants to be featured in the alumni magazine. Well, there's only so many issues of that. There's only so many pages in that. This gives you another opportunity to say, yes, we'd love to feature you. How about being a guest on our podcast? So, so kudos to you all for continuing to expand the storytelling opportunities that you have uh, to tell all the, the infinite stories that we have about alumni having an impact in their communities and in their professions. Right. Yeah. No, thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. So let me switch gears here for a little bit. You know, I I noticed when you were a student at Seton Hall that you were a a leader, a student leader in the Latinx community. You mentioned how March and April were, were tough for a variety of reasons, but I think things even got tougher in May and June. Uh, in the summer, as the social justice movements hit our hit our country once again and and continued to take hold and and this time, at least in my perspective, hasn't lost hold. Uh, I think that there is a momentum right now to the social justice movement that I haven't felt in in my lifetime. but i I thought I might ask you you know your perspective on on all of that as now a leader in higher education and a leader in your alumni community about conversations around race and social justice. And what have those conversations been like uh, at Seton Hall as an employee and then amongst your alumni community? That's a great question. I think, I think you're right. I think we're having these conversations so much more. Um, and these conversations, even if we were having them before, are a little bit more front and center right now. And it, we're at a point in which you have to be kind of taking direct action or even if it's by conversation, it you have to be directly involved in in what is what is in diversity and inclusion initiatives. And so on the one level, I actually am the advisor to the Adelante Latino Latina student organization on campus. And that's the organization that you mentioned that I was a part of as a student. So I have an opportunity here now to be the advisor to these students and help guide those conversations. And while it's a space that has always been having those conversations since, you know, since it started its its existence, it's actually why it even became an organization, right? Because the founders of that organization in the 70s were trying to make a point about social justice and their rights as students. And that that continues. So that space has always been, but with the events in May, with you know George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and the protests, those conversations are just kind of catapulted again to the front and center. So, as the advisor, it's been an interesting opportunity for me to sit down and hear from the students what they feel. I think part of it too. For the Latinx community, kind of what elections tend to do to them emotionally or mentally, as a lot of talk happens about um, Latino immigration and those types of policies that surround that. So I love the opportunity to talk to the students who have varying perspectives on these things and hear what these things are doing to them. How do they feel? How do they react? And encourage them. And 
guide them in ways to have these conversations themselves among their peers. So there's been that opportunity on the on the more institutional level. Seton Hall before this year, you know, for a number of years now has already had in motion a diversity and inclusion committee that's overseeing direct programming and initiatives to to make sure that these conversations are happening on a continuous basis. And I think it's even more important now, and I think the university has recognized that as well. So one of the things I love seeing is from that committee, these regular emails that go out that talk about the celebrations of different heritage months. So you'll see in, you know, Hispanic Heritage Month from September to October, emails to the entire community that are going out about the celebrations happening on campus um, and other information about that. And those haven't stopped. So I think, you know, for me, normally it's like we talk about, you know, Hispanic Heritage Month and then we'll talk about Black History Month and and then that'll be a wrap. And what the nice thing that this this committee is doing is that they're continuing these conversations. They're continuing to point out the different heritage celebrations um, with nuggets of information about each and programming surrounding each, uh, plus the broader conversations about diversity and inclusion within organizations, within higher ed. And it's the, I don't want to say silver lining, but it's kind of the silver lining in which, you know, you're just, grateful and happy to see that these conversations are happening at the highest level and that they're continuously happening, that they're not a box that's getting checked off. Because without them, there won't be significant progress, right? And also that I have an opportunity to speak with the students one-on-one is another, you know, silver lining, if for lack of a better word, because I'm there directly speaking with with our our young people about the feelings behind it, the emotional toll, the processing that sometimes can be difficult for anyone, um, especially when you're at that age of of college, and then especially during a pandemic. So you know, for some of these students, they got they got sent right. home, and their entire college experience has just been completely shifted. They're involved in this organization that already is about elevating those voices. And then the country is at a point where these massive movements are happening. So it's been a really interesting time. And I, I am grateful to be a part of a lot of these conversations and to be a part of the subcommittees at Seton Hall that that works on these celebrations like Hispanic Heritage Month celebration, Black History Month celebration is a committee that I'm sitting on right now. I'm grateful to be a part of those committees and to bring those initiatives and those conversations and those opportunities to the forefront of the community, whether that be the student community, the staff and administrative community, or the alumni community. Absolutely. Yeah. Diversity, equity, and inclusion work is not um, it's not completing of a checklist, right? It's it's a what's exactly. next process, right? Always asking the question, once you've made one step forward, right? That's not the, um, it's not time to, to sit back and be satisfied. It's time to ask what's next yep. and, and, and continually pushing forward uh, until, exactly. uh, you know, until kind of we achieve that, um, that level of inclusivity where 
um, where it doesn't quite need that focus. I unfortunately don't think that we're going to see that in either of our lifetimes, but, uh, but it's, we can't get there unless we spend our lifetime working towards that end. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's like how many things, including, including this, how many things Pat, like, for example, people look back and they're like, well, had I been moving the dial just a little bit for the last 15 years, we would be in a different position. But because within those 15 years, that tiny move of the dial didn't seem significant enough, people didn't put in the effort for 15 years. But if you look down the line, and 50 years is not a long time when we're talking about these kind of big ticket issues, um, when you, when you would, if you could fast forward to 15 years, you'd see that that tiny little move of the dial each time actually ends up being a significant amount of change. Absolutely. Well, Bianca, we have a tradition on the Alumni Trending Podcast where we give our guests the final word on the profession. And so where do you see us trending in alumni relations? Well, I, is it biased to say that I see podcasts popping up left and right from our alumni offices? I think that that is one of the moves to make, especially with the force of digital engagement programming that COVID has put upon us. So I'm going to be completely biased and say podcasting, but also kind of these video programming opportunities as well. So I really see an opportunity for our profession to take hold of these mediums and create an audience because this audience is unique. You're not in competition with anyone else. Alumni are listening to or viewing or experiencing the programming of this institution, your respective institution, because they're part of that. And there's no, I mean, there could be other institutions that they might have another degree from, but there's no other institution in which they had that experience that they had other than yours. So it provides a beautiful opportunity to create a very niche audience that's not in competition with another. And you can really sky's the limit with these mediums. So I think video storytelling and audio storytelling like podcasts is, is where it's at and where it's going. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you. I'm John Fudo, Vice Chancellor for University Advancement at UMass Lowell, and I'm staying on trend by listening to the Alumni Trending Podcast. There you go, trendsetters, another episode of Alumni Trending. If you are enjoying the Alumni Trending Podcast, make sure you go out to iTunes or your podcast app of choice and give us a rating and drop us a review. We'd also love to hear from you. Drop me an email at paul.clifford at alumnitrending.com. Until next time, thanks for tuning in and keep trending.